rich in theology about Christ, what he did on the cross and how he's coming back. Great song. I hope it moved your heart. Nothing like hearing a song about Jesus Christ, about what he has accomplished and what he is about to accomplish. He's coming back, folks. Make no mistake about that. He's coming back. Just like he said he, he, just like it was prophesied about him that he would come the first time, he came, suffered, died, ascended, and presently as I'm speaking, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to crack the eastern sky one day. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. There's only one way to be ready. Know the Son. Know Jesus Christ. Just give me a minute to set up over here. Patty's right. I was playing drums. I'm doing Bible study. I, I don't paint ceilings. He got that one wrong. Okay, there's other painters. Mike is a painter. You know, I fish. Okay. But um, if you have Bibles or if you want to look at the TV screen, we're going to be looking at John. As if you didn't know, I've been in John for the last six years. And believe it or not, I'm, I have this one, and next week will be part two, and then I have two more after that, and then I'm finished, and then I'm like a fish out of water. I don't know what I'm going to do, whatever God leads me. You know, I only preach once a month, but I still have to come up with something. So I might do an Old Testament book, I might do a couple of topics, we'll see. We'll see what the Lord has us. But if you have John, turn to the first chapter. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 34. Now, in your bulletin, I, I, you have an outline, okay? So it might help you follow the message a little easier, okay? So anyway, um, the last time I spoke, we finished John's introduction, which is called the prologue. That's an introduction, the first 18 verses. And John came right out of the gate talking about Jesus. He said... He is fully God and fully man. He made no bones about it. He said, this is who he is. And now, it's as if John calls the witness of John the Baptist to the stand in a judicial setting to testify about Jesus, that he is the promised Messiah, the Son of God. Witness, as you will see, if you ever read through the and followed my teachings over the years. If you ever read through the whole Gospel of John, John is very big on witnesses. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you're a believer, which I hope you are here today, you too, like John the Baptist, will have ample opportunities to bear witness and testify about the Son of God, about Jesus Christ. Don't ever be ashamed of the Savior. In Hebrews, it says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Don't ever be ashamed. He died in open shame for us. How should we be ashamed of him? So let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you don't mind. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And he asked him, What then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice. Of one crying it out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah had said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me back to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you, did, uh, you see the Spirit descend on and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts. Help us to understand this great, great man of God that you sent to be a witness and that we also have a testimony and we are witnesses too. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the children will be stay in service today. Next few weeks, we're still working out a lot of the kinks, obviously. So um, just please bear with us and children remain in service today. So I want to start off with a little story. How many of you remember um, Lauren McCain of one of the students that were killed at Virginia Tech? I don't know if you remember that story. Uh, in April 16, 2007, well, she was killed. Lauren cared deeply about the international community, and she was deeply involved with campus ministries aimed at reaching out to international students. She spoke often of her desire to travel, to study abroad, and to one day live and work in another country and share the love of Christ with those he placed in her life. She saw every person as uniquely valuable and purposefully invested herself in those she met. Lauren loved God. She had faith that her Savior, Jesus Christ, had placed her at Virginia Tech with a mission and a purpose to touch those she met with his love and to glorify him. She did nothing in her own power but drew close to him and allowed him to touch those around her through her words and her actions. Laura's belief in God and Jesus as her Savior is expressed in her own testimony. And this is what her testimony said. The purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. I don't have to argue religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because I know him. He is just as real, if not more, so as my earthly father. She knew Jesus Christ. That's why I went... She could write this stuff because she had a passion for Christ that she would bear witness and testify to people she met about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ in the first century was revealed to John the Baptist by God the Father. And he knew him and he testified about him. See, John the Baptist, there was a 400 year silence when the last prophet Malachi spoke and there was 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist arises. He's the last Old Testament prophet. But God revealed who Jesus Christ was. And he became this great witness for Jesus Christ. And here's my proposition. Your testimony, and you have a testimony. If you're a Christian, you have a testimony. There's no doubt. Your testimony's ultimate purpose is this. It's to point people to Jesus. That's your testimony and your witness, the purpose of it. And we're going to look at two points. But actually today we're only going to look at one point, And next week I will finish the second point. First point is you have a testimony. And the second point is you testify about Jesus. Let's look at the first point. You have a testimony. And let's look at the first Two verse, three verses again, uh, 19 through 21, verses 19 through 21, chapter 1. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, well then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. You see, the Bible clearly speaks of John the Baptist's witness. He, he was a witness in every sense of the word. But let's define what the biblical word for witness means. Okay, so if you'll bear with me. Loi, Nidus, Greek, 
English lexicon defines it as this. To provide information about a person or an event concerning which the speaker has direct knowledge. It means to witness. It means to testify. And I believe Stuart Briscoe, he's, a, he's an author and, um, and, a, and a former pastor. I think he nails it when he says in his book, Getting Into God. Now, I never read the book, but this is one of the quotes from the book. A witness is someone, and listen to this, a witness is someone who by explanation and demonstration gives audible and visible evidence of what he has seen and heard. And listen to this. Without being deterred by the consequences of his actions. That's a witness. And I think John the Baptist fits this description perfectly as we go through his life. And why does John, who wrote this gospel, and I'm going to be saying that to make the difference, because John wrote the epistle of this gospel, but it's, he's talking about John the Baptist. Uh, why does John, who wrote this gospel, make such a big deal about witnesses? Well, Deuteronomy and Corinthians tells us that the testimony of multiple witnesses establishes a matter of truth. One time I went to... Um, uh, I got called for jury duty. Actually, this is a crazy story. Both me and my wife, Brian and Terry, got called at the same time. How does that happen? I don't know. But all different dates. So we put our brains together. We said, let's cancel because you're allowed one cancellation, right? Forgive me, I'm losing my voice a little bit. We get one cancellation, right? We all put the same date down and we all got called at the same time. Now, how great is that? You have a day off from work and you spend it. They at the courthouse with your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, and your wife. That was fantastic. <laughs> so, as God would have it, Terry and I get called into the same room. Now, this wasn't the, 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 this regular room where you get called in and the, the lawyer questions you and, and, you know, whatever he says to you and then he, they either dismiss you or keep you. We got called into this room. It was probably about this big. And the, and, and the one who questioned us was the judge. I don't remember what the case was. But I just remember the judge was really high up. And he saw me with my Bible. Okay, so he said to me, Mr. Verdi. He said, if a man swears on the Bible, is he telling the truth? I said, no, he's not. That doesn't mean he's telling the truth. No. And he said, okay, well, how do you know, and I don't remember the exact words, it was many years ago, how do you know, how can you accuse a man? I said, well, the Bible says, since he was one to ask me biblical questions, I'm going to give him a biblical answer. I said, well, every matter is established by two or three witnesses. Well, you know who got dismissed. That was it, I was gone. But that's okay. I don't know what happened to Terry. She might still be there. I don't know. <laughs> but in this, in this text, it, it's almost as if John, who wrote this gospel, is saying, I have many witnesses to prove who Jesus is. You see, we don't live by blind faith. God gave us witnesses to share, uh, we're witnesses. And he gave us evidence about Christ. I don't know how many of you read the book, or at least have the book, uh, or heard of the book. Um, um, evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. I mean, he gives evidence that really demands a verdict of who Jesus is. And I think John, throughout his gospel, gives us witnesses to prove that. Jesus is the Son of God. You may remember, as we went through the gospel over the years, we saw John calling to mind seven witnesses. He called his own father, God the Father, a witness in chapter 5 and 8. He was saying, the Father is a witness. He, Christ himself was a witness. Chapter 8 and 18, you might say, well, that's not, that's not good. You can't be a witness for yourself. When you're the son of God, you can be. Uh, he called the, the spirit of God as a witness. He called the works of Jesus to, that bears witness. I mean, Jesus raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. 
The scriptures bear witness about who Christ was. And of course, as you read the scriptures, there was a variety of human witnesses. One was the Samaritan woman, remember that? And of course, right now, we have John the Baptist, where we get a full description of his witness here in verses 19 through 34. And all the witnesses about Christ throughout the gospel had facts. Not mere opinions. See, when we share Christ, we don't give them opinions. Give them facts. And he calls the first witness, John the Baptist, to the stand. To answer the priests and the Levites who were sent by the Jewish leaders. They were, you know, the Jewish leaders sent these priests and the Levites. Go talk to John. Find out what this man is doing. Why he's baptizing and, and John uses the phrase Jews in this gospel around 70 times. 70 to 75 times. Sometimes it's neutral. He uses the word Jews as a neutral thing. Sometimes it's favorable. But most of the time, the majority of the time, when John uses the word about the Jews, it's the hostility of the Jewish leaders towards Jesus. So who are these Jews? Well, probably they consisted mostly of Pharisees because verse 24 describes them as Pharisees. They, they were part of the Sanhedrin, a court of the religious leaders who were in charge of the spiritual well-being of Israel, although they didn't do such a very good job. And they never believed John the Baptist. And we know this because Luke tells us that the Pharisees, in Luke the chapter 7, we won't look at that, but he tells us that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them, by him. So they send priests and Levites to question John. And they ask the first witness, John the Baptist, the question, Who are you, John? Now I like to think they said, now this is not gospel truth, but I'm just telling you my spin on it. I like to think, because of how arrogant they were, I like to think they said, who do you think you are, John? And the first thing John does is declare and admit who he's not. He says, I am not the Christ. He's here, but it's not me. And the Hebrew word for Christ would be Messiah. You have the Hebrew word, which means Messiah, and Christ, which is in the Greek. And they both mean anointed. So the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. And that's why John, I, I would think, that's why he said, I'm not the Christ. They didn't say, you're the Christ. He said, who are you? So they, he knew they were expecting the Messiah. And the Jews are still today waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting for him. They still believe that God will send the mighty deliverer. And they're right. Except they missed it 2,000 years ago. And when the Jews sent their representatives to find out who John was, he denied it and emphatically confessed that he was not the Christ, not the Messiah. John always, as you read through his life, he always bowed to the superiority of Christ. He never tried to elevate himself that would detract from who Jesus was. And the next question they ask him, are you Elijah? In the Old Testament book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 predicted the prophet Elijah to return just before the Messiah appeared. And it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So it's not surprising that they would think that John the Baptist may have been Elijah who returned. After all, Elijah didn't die, right? Second Kings, Second Kings tell us, tells us that God took him in a whirlwind to heaven. So they may have thought that John was Elijah who returned from heaven. John emphatically denies it again. He says, I'm not Elijah. But there seems to be a contradiction here in scripture. Because Jesus said John the Baptist 
was Elijah. In Matthew eleven thirteen to 14, Jesus was speaking about Elijah and said, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is saying he's Elijah, and John is saying he's not. But I think the solution is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where the angel was telling Zechariah, the angel Gabriel was telling Zechariah that he and his wife were going to have a child, and the angel was describing the role of his child, which was John the Baptist, and he said this, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord's people prepared. So John the Baptist wasn't Elijah, but was like Elijah in many ways. He came in the spirit and the power of this great prophet. He dressed like him. He had a similar message like him. But what John was denying is that he was not Elijah who returned from heaven. In other words, John wasn't physically Elijah, but he was like him. So there's no contradiction in scripture. So in essence, John was saying, strike two, that's not me either. I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah. And the third question they ask him, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? When they asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet, no doubt they were, they were thinking of Deuteronomy 18, uh, verse 15. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, and he's talking to Israel, Moses. He will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. You see, the Jews expected this prophet that Moses spoke about, a prophet that would be like Moses in many ways, but the main way was this prophet would preach divine revelation, which Jesus did. Some Jews thought this prophet would be a forerunner of the Messiah, and some believed that this prophet would actually be the Messiah, which Jesus was. So he was the prophet. And John the Baptist again says no. Now they're exasperated. John, you're not Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. We need to tell them, our leaders, who you are. Give us an answer. They're exasperated. They're, they're, They're mad. And he answers them in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. So what John is saying is only what Isaiah said about him. What he is saying is I'm nothing. I'm just a voice. A messenger. And Christ is everything. So get ready. Clear the road. Knock down the trees. Level the street. Make a path suitable for a king. What he was saying is make a king's highway. You know, when I was growing up, I lived on King's Highway. Anybody know King's Highway in Bensonhurst? I lived on King's Highway. And I remember when John F. Kennedy was running for president. I was eight years old. And in his campaign for president, he came down King's Highway. In a motorcade right in front of my home. And, and everyone was screaming and Kennedy was standing in the car waving to everyone. You know, you can't do that anymore. Obviously, security is much tighter now. And me, my mother, and I remember my Aunt Ida were watching from the second floor apartment that we lived in. And I remember my aunt saying, oh, he's so handsome. I, you know, an eight-year-old boy. And, and it was very exciting to watch the streets cleared and the motorcade coming down King's Highway with the candidate, of course, he did win the election. John the Baptist is saying, clear the way, the king is coming. Get ready. Why was he saying that? He was preparing them to meet the Savior. John the Baptist's voice or message was to prepare Israel to meet the Messiah. Well, how were they prepared to meet the Messiah? Was it just saying like so many today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, and they go their way, and there's no change? Only the Spirit of God can change a person, we know that. Let's look at what John said. 
The way they were to prepare for Jesus' arrival was not literally clearing a road that he could walk down. That wasn't the way. They were to get ready spiritually. They were to prepare their hearts. They were to return to the Lord. And I think it's important to look at the Gospel of Luke's account of how John was telling them to be prepared. Luke 3.3. Luke tells us, not this Luke over here, the Gospel of Luke. You know, we have a Luke over here who's playing bass. Not, not that Luke. I thought that was a little funny. You could, you know, you know. Anyway, sorry Luke. So, we go to Luke 3.3, and Luke tells us that John the Baptist went in all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then he lays out examples to the people who came to him and wanted to know. In Luke 3, verses 7 to 14, John tells the crowd, uh, he tells the crowds this, that came out to be baptized by him. Listen to what he says. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, we, we don't have many preachers calling... People, brood of vipers, you know. If we did, we'd probably clear the, 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 the churches, clear out the churches. And he goes on to say, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked them, what then shall we do? Now here's the heart of repentance, and I want you to listen to this. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, you want to show you're repentant? You want to show you're really preparing your heart for Jesus? Go share with people. Show that you're really genuinely repentant. And then he said, um, he said to the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them teacher what shall we do and he said you want to know if your repentance is genuine collect no more than you are authorized to do because why? they were notorious for collecting more than they were authorized to do the soldiers asked him and what shall we do and he said to them don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages Wow. I mean, that's really genuine repentance. And in short, what John the Baptist was saying, don't think that you can come here and be baptized and be saved just because you're Abraham's descendant. Judgment is coming. As Patty spoke on Romans 1. And what he's saying is, judgment is coming. Do you want to escape the wrath to come? Change the direction of your thinking. Recognize your sins and turn from them. And also recognize that only the Messiah could forgive them. He tells them to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Let repentance result in good works. Repentance and faith go together. There's no such thing as just repentance without faith. And there's no such thing as faith without repentance. I mean, they go hand in hand. And here's the good news. It's a gift from God. This does... This, Again, this doesn't mean they could earn their salvation by any kind of work. Dr. John MacArthur says, Good works are an inevitable result of repentance. The repentance that God grants does not take place in a vacuum, but in the context of transformation brought about by conversion and, rec- and regeneration. As a result, the redeemed are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. In other words, if their repentance was genuine, it was because of God's loving kindness that led them to it, which always results in good works. I'm gonna here's a good practical outworking of repentance that Paul gives us in the letter of Ephesians. Verse um, the letter of Ephesians, chapter four, verse twenty-eight. He says this. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay? Before you come to faith in Christ, he was a thief. Now Paul is saying, okay, don't steal anymore. Matter of fact, work. 
And now share what you've made with others. Now, now, in, other, in other words, let your repentance be this. You're not taking anymore unrighteously. You're giving now. That's repentance. That's repentance. I have a, I have a good Christian friend who before his conversion, Bob Monahan. This guy was a wild guy. And he was always fighting, always in fights. And one day he was sharing with me that there was this one person who was his cousin. He held a grudge against. And when he first came to faith in Christ, to show you what kind of person he was, when his cousin, who he had this grudge against, sent him an invitation to her wedding, he burnt it, put it in the envelope and sent it back. When he came to faith in Christ, listen, this is incredible. This brought me to tears. He drove an hour and a half to her, knocked on the door, and asked the husband who answered the door to see his wife. Immediately, the husband and the wife panicked, got very nervous, knowing his reputation. She ran and hid with the kids. She act, this is a true story. She actually ran and hid with the kids. But he convinced the husband that he wasn't there to hurt them. So she came to the door, and to their surprise, he told them that he was a Christian, and he asked the girl's forgiveness. And then she told him, I'm a Christian. And they hugged and they cried. It was genuine repentance. He didn't just say, well, I'm a Christian now, well, you know, let bygones be bygones. He got in his car, drove an hour and a half to ask her for forgiveness. That's genuine repentance. We turn away from our sins to Christ. But I think one of the first things a person repents of is this. Their view of Christ. Their view of Christ. However they thought of him before, they now believe he is the son of God. Period. The Christ. You're a Muslim. You come to faith in Christ. It's no longer he's just a prophet. He's Christ, the Son of God. If you're a Catholic, although they believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God, they have that theology right. But they no longer believe Mary is a co-redeemer. You know, this, my friend was telling me just recently, he said there's actually some Catholic church that have Mary on the cross. That's blasphemy. That is actually blasphemy. They believe, some believe that she's a co-redeemer. If you're a Jew, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If you're a Mormon, you no longer believe he's the elder brother who progressed to Godhood. You believe he's Christ, the son of the living God. If you're a Jehovah Witness, you no longer believe he's a God, small g. You believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That he is God in human flesh. But even repentance, as I said before... Is a gift from God. It's God's loving kindness that leads us towards repentance. All of you who are Christian here, when you repented of your sins and repented of your view of Christ, it's because the gift of God in you, His loving kindness drew you to Himself. Back to our drama, the Jews questioned John the Baptist further in verses 25 and 26. They ask him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered, I, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. You see, baptize, baptism was nothing new to the Jew. It was practiced when a person converted from Judaism, um, I'm sorry, from pagan religion to Judaism. As far as the Jews were concerned, all Gentiles are defiled and need cleansing if they wanted to be convert, convert to Judaism. But the Jews were already God's chosen people, so they were thinking, why do we need to be baptized? But those that were being baptized, the Jews that were being baptized, were the ones who recognized that they were really not in a covenant relationship with God just because they were the physical descendants of Abraham. They needed to repent and look to, to the Messiah for real spiritual cleansing. And the Jewish leaders wanted to know by what authority he was baptizing if he's not the Christ, the Elijah, or the prophet. Again, John, in his humility, points away from himself and points directly to Jesus. In essence, he says, 
This is my role. I only baptize you with water. It prepares the way for the Messiah. My role is nothing compared to his role, which is he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's his role. Does it mean that John's baptism and his role was not important? No. It's a means to an end. It pointed the sinner to Christ. It was important. It was important because God himself gave the ministry to John. We see that in verse 33. But John rightly so understood that Christ's role was far superior than his own. And it is this Christ that these investigators did not know and would probably never know which becomes more and more apparent as you read through the Gospel of John, especially the first, first, uh, the first 12 chapters. On the other hand, John the Baptist did come to know Jesus. And not only John, but others who responded to his witness. Again, John in his humility takes the focus off his role of baptism and puts it on Christ and his own, own unworthiness. This man was an incredibly, an incredibly humble man. He tells him in verse 27, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I mean, you guys are familiar with the Pharisees. They walked around proud as a peacock in their flowing robes. And they wanted the people to at their feet to kind of worship them, even though they never really said it. And John, on the other hand, comes... And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. He lowered himself that much to compare himself to his Savior. John exalted the Savior. Humility could scarcely take a lower place, as Dr. Leon Morris said. And John took that low place. And yet... And, you know, we, we look at that and we say, what humility that? That's incredible. And yet, we are told that the Son of God washed his disciples' feet, which was, which, which was for the lowest of slaves. As humble as John was, Christ was even more humble. I mean, that's incredible. And hey, listen, if you want to know one of the main characteristics of Christian living, it's humility. It's humility. First, first Peter 5, the second half of 5, Peter tells us this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he tells, Paul tells the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If you want to know what characteristic is the, one of the most important in the Christian walk, it's humility. How many of you remember, probably Aunt Diana does, Sir James Simpson? Okay, he was the one who discovered chloroform. That's why you can go to get an operation and you don't feel pain because it was a form of chloroform that could be used in an antiseptic to render people insensible to the pain of surgery. Um, And he goes on to say, from his early experiments, Dr. Simpson made it possible for people to go through the most dangerous operations without fear of pain and suffering. Some people even claim that his was one of the most significant discoveries of modern medicine. That was in 1847. Some years later, while lecturing at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Simpson was asked by one of his students, what do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? To the surprise of his students, who had expected him to refer to chloroform, Dr. Simpson replied, my most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus Christ was my savior. Now that's humility. He could have said, well, you know, it's my, my um, discovery of chloroform. He didn't say that. That's humility. John the Baptist had this precious characteristic of humility. We could all learn from John the Baptist. I know I certainly can. 
And then John closes with this section where all this took place. In verse 28, he says, These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This wasn't the Bethany for all you Bible scholars. This wasn't the Bethany where Lazarus, Martha, and Mary lived, but another Bethany across the Jordan. There's a couple of Bethanies. I know it doesn't matter to you, but I have to tell you that. Okay? Let's get into some application, then we'll close, okay? This is where you could follow your outline. Of course, we are not like John the Baptist in so many ways. We're not wearing camel hair, which sounds very itchy to me. Camel's hair. We're not eating locusts, which sounds even worse to me. And wild honey. That's okay. I, I like honey. And we're not preaching in the wilderness and baptizing people in the Jordan. So we're not like John the Baptist. We haven't seen the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus. So now we can bear witness about Jesus based on what we saw. We don't have priests and Levites from Israel questioning us about Jesus. We never saw the physical Jesus. Therefore we can certainly, we can't entertain the thought of being unworthy to untie his sandal strap. However... In spite of all the ways we are not like John the Baptist, we are similar in many ways. And this text has rich application for the 20th century believer. And this is it. Every true believer has a testimony. John the Baptist was not the only one who had a testimony. Every Christian has a testimony. Are you a Christian today here? Do you, are you a believer in Christ? You have a testimony. You ha- you're, you're a witness Point one, you have a testimony. So I broke it down into subpoints. Subpoint A, you confess who you are not. Now you don't literally say, you know, I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, I am not the prophet. I'm not talking about literally, it's always by implication when we witness. His His answer was simple, he said I'm not... Back then, I mean, we expected him to say that. He said, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. He quickly and forcefully denied that he was any of these. There was no uncertainty at all. They knew what he was talking about. He was subordinate to the Messiah. When you and I testify about the Savior, there should be no ambiguity. Obviously, people, once again, are not going to say to you, are you the Christ, are you Elijah, or the prophet? But they might say, as they said to me, John, you're a good person. They might say that to you. Which would diminish Christ and his redemptive work. We deny anything like that. I'm not righteous, nor am I a good person. I am a sinner saved by the Savior. As a pastor, I'm not the shepherd. I might be another shepherd. The elders here are under shepherds. We are servants of Christ. Christ is the chief shepherd. Deny that you are anything but a sinner now turned into a servant of Christ by his divine grace. Subpoint two. You confess that you are just a voice. And that voice is to prepare them to meet the Savior. When the Jews pressed John who he was, he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. What you are in your testimony and your witness Here's what we are. We're a voice crying out into the world of wilderness. Void of God. Righteousness. Filled with violence and sin. We're the voice in this world of wilderness. Your voice is this. You want to hear what your voice is? Listen. This is what Paul told the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul told the Corinthians, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's the voice we are. The Christian voice in this world of wilderness. Is to prepare people to meet Jesus. Everyone will meet Jesus. Either their savior or judge. If they heed your voice of the gospel. They'll be, he'll, be, he'll be their savior. If they reject it. He'll be their judge. Your voice just proclaims the gospel. Subpoint number three was C. You confess your role. And once again, I don't mean literally say these things. Our confession, again, is by implication. 
Anyway, you confess your role. John's role was a baptism of repentance to prepare people for the Messiah. Your role is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, or I'm sorry, Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, this is the great commission that Jesus gave us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. To the end of the age. Our role as believers is to go tell people about Jesus. We, when one believes, we baptize them. And then we teach them the word of God. That's it. That's our role. God's role is, he saves and he alone baptized the believer in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist in Mark 1.8 says, I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And people that we share Christ with need to know that yes, we are baptized, they are baptized by the church. But it's only God who baptizes them with the Spirit, which transforms their lives. Christian baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Okay? So we might baptize them outwardly, but it's Christ who baptizes them inwardly with the Holy Spirit. Again, our role points them beyond ourselves to Jesus. So point D, you confess your unworthiness. Humility. It's humility. John the Baptist said he wasn't worthy to perform the lowest menial task reserved for slaves. And I think one of the most refreshing characteristics of a believer sharing his or her faith in Christ, as I said before, is humility. The world has enough Arrogant, boastful, proud people strut around thinking they are worthy to be accepted by God because somehow they're good enough. Well, there's no one worthy, no one for God to receive based on their goodness. No one. Paul made that clear in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You know, from time to time, people will say to me, John, you're a good person. No, I'm not. Outside of Christ, I'm a wretched, sinful, vile man. My holiness, my righteousness, my goodness is Christ in me. Like we sing that song, holiness is Christ in me. He transforms me into righteousness. And when people try to tell me that I'm a good person, and that's why I'm a Christian, I immediately try to divert them to Christ's worthiness and not mine. I am unworthy to untie my Savior's sandal. I stand with John, and I hope you do too. Do you know that even Christians, as Christians, we should realize that we are unworthy servants? Listen to what... Jesus said in the parable in Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. And this is Jesus speaking. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at a table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I, am, while I eat and drink? And afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This doesn't mean we walk around beating our breasts saying, woe is me, I'm so unworthy. No, it doesn't mean that. That would be false humility. I'm speaking about genuine humility, recognizing that Jesus is the one who is worthy. If I may suggest, and we'll close with this, let your witness... And let your testimony about Christ be done in all humility. And here's the other thing. Let it be done in simplicity. Don't try to make... There's a story about Billy Graham. He tried to... You know, Billy Graham was probably one of the greatest evangelists of our day. He tried to reach the intellect with intellect. And he said this. There's a story about Billy Graham preaching at Cambridge in 1955. For three nights, he tried to make his preaching academic, but with no effect. Graham finally realized that his 
that presenting the intellectual side of faith was not his gift and began preaching the simple message of Jesus rescuing us from our problem with sin. The results were astonishing. Hundreds of sophisticated students responded to this clear presentation of the gospel. It was a lesson in clarity and simplicity that he never forgot. So we don't have to be... Now, listen. There is a time for sometimes God will use an intellectual person to reach an intellectual person. That's okay. We're not saying that this never happens. But let you, you, Billy Graham met these sophisticated people by preaching a simple gospel. What's the simple gospel? Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sins. Your, your witness and testimony can be simple, but in your simplicity, it must profoundly point to Christ. Let me conclude here. Don't point to yourself. Don't point to your favorite preacher. Point people to Jesus. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, it will be very easy to testify and point people to Jesus. But you can't do that on your own. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pray and ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and then give them Jesus. As the chorus of the song written by Janet Paschal says, I give you Jesus. He's the peace that passes all understanding. I give you Jesus. He's the perfect love that casted out all fear. I give you Jesus. He's the water you drink and never thirst again. I give you Jesus, my friend. I give you Jesus. Give this lost world Jesus by pointing them to him through your testimony. You have a testimony. Let it point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great, great witness that John gives us through his whole gospel. But in this section, God, we thank you for the witness and the testimony of John the Baptist, which speaks to our hearts, Lord. God, we want to be witnesses. We want to testify about the Lord. God, we fail sometimes. We fail. But we want to... Not fail. We want to tell people about Jesus. We want our testimony to point people to Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Help us to do that, God. Help us to meditate on these scriptures and to become your witness and have a great testimony that you've given each person in Christ's name.